You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Thank you so much for listening to the Manifesting God podcast. So good to see everyone. And remember, if God has kept you and you're under the sound of my voice, that means he has indeed kept you and we should be giving him praise. We should be giving him glory and we should be giving him honor because indeed God is good and has been good to us. Get over to Joshua 1. Let's get over to Joshua 1 and let's go ahead and begin. I want to begin today by basically uh, just kind of giving a little bit of a a summary, uh, if you will, um, in Joshua 1. When we're at this point in the word of God, we are speaking after the death of Moses. This is when Joshua has had a conversation with the Lord and he's being reminded. He's having a one-on-one conversation with the Lord. Now let's keep in mind that hadn't happened before. Moses was whom God talked to, but now God is talking directly to Joshua. And he is reminding Joshua that he must prepare the people to get ready to receive the promises of God. He describes to Joshua the territory that they will inherit. He explains also to Joshua that they have to be careful to obey all of the law that was given to them by Moses. He explains that they are not to turn from it. They have to keep it on their lips, keep it in their mouth, thereby keep it in their heart because we can't speak with what is not in our heart. The Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. So he's telling them to keep this word in their heart so that their mouth, what they speak is aligning with the promises that God has for them, that which God has spoken to them, they can indeed claim as theirs. If they have put it in their heart, they will profess the same. He's telling them to meditate on it day and night, a means of getting it within their heart, making it common to them, making it known to them. And he told them that if they do this, that they will remain prosperous and that they will be successful. And he explains to Joshua, you don't have to be afraid because I'm always going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be everywhere that you are. So in Joshua 1, in that um, NIV version, the New International Version, verse 3, I'm picking up where he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I have promised Moses in verse 4, He says, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river to the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea and the West. And I I want you to note there that verse three says, every place where you set your foot, as I promised, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you. However, in verse four, he says, he literally states the borders. Your territory is going to extend from the desert of Lebanon 
and from the great river, the Euphrates, all, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea. So he's telling them exactly what their boundaries are going to be. And I think it's important to note there that he states the territory that is given them. So it's especially important to note there that God has a promise just for me. And within that promise, he states my borders. He states my borders. So every, every place has limits. God gives us limits. This is that part where I say, as I tend to often say, that each of us has a place in the body of Christ. Let's liken it unto that. We have a place in the body of Christ. We have something to contribute. We have a promise to fulfill. I cannot try to fulfill your promise. I cannot try to fulfill the will of God for your life. I can fulfill what God has for my life. That is my contribution to the body of Christ. An example would be, I would say, um, since I, um, since I've recorded now, I have a producer. And what I love about my producer the most, hey T, shout out. <laughs> what I love the most about my producer is that he's able to pull the music, the lyrics out of my head, what I'm hearing. He's able to literally hear it in my voice and how I'm singing and how I'm presenting as to how the music needs to shift, what instruments need to be there. He's able to pull that out. And that's because that's his gift to the body of Christ, hence his gift to my ministry. And so if we don't allow, if we don't allow uh, that which God has put around us to contribute its part, that's when we find ourselves in lack. That's when we find ourselves having to fulfill or trying trying to fulfill a role that has not been assigned to us. And while we may do it good, it never is great because it is not our role. So understand that in this season where God is fulfilling his promises to us and he's telling us that he's doing so, that he also has a territory that's assigned just to us. We, ma'am, sir, have borders. We have borders. We have limitations. Joshua told the people after he had this conversation with God that they should prepare to move. He reminded the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh of the instructions that Moses had given unto them. And sidebar, sidebar here, in short, this group of people had asked not to enter the promised land, but yet to be on the outskirts of the promised land. They thought that with all of their livestock and everything that they had, that since that uh, land just before the promised land was all open, that that would be better for their livestock. They had an actual preference. They had a preference outside of the preference that God had assigned to them. So we want to be we want we want to be clear about the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half a tribe of Manasseh that they had a preference. Uh, do we not all have a preference? You're going to have a preference 
as to the promise that God has for your life. Come on, I'm teaching good already. Uh, we do have a preference to what God has for our life. But if you go back and look at the history of those tribes, especially Manasseh, they always preferred what was not theirs. They always preferred something outside of what God had in store for them. And we're going to learn that that's not always a good thing. We're going to learn that we should trust the promises of God because what he has for us, he also has already built in us to be able to operate in. So when we try to move towards our preference, our preference, we're going to find that that is not usually effective, but we're not usually willing to admit that to far after the fact when we've quote unquote possibly failed, that we have stepped outside of the will of the promise of God toward what we preferred. And what we learned by that tribe, by these tribes, is that what we're going to learn is that our preference is not always a good thing. While God will give you your choice, he will turn you over to your choice. And that's the part that we forget. We feel like sometimes because God allows us to move outside of what I've just previously stated, where the limitations, the boundaries, the territory that he's assigned for us, that somehow God is going to, um, going to somehow change his mind. He's not going to change his mind. But what he will do is as he promised, I will cause all things to work together for your good, even your preferences. I'm going to make it work for your good. But however, however, let's consider this. Are we really uh, making an attempt at frustrating the grace of God just because we have the liberty to? So we want to, I want to make sure that I point that out to you that yes, there is a promise over to, over your lives. Yes, you are going to receive the, the promises of God, but you have an assigned territory. And should you choose, should you choose, should you decide that that isn't big enough to house all of your dreams and all of your uh, all of your inclinations, then God will indeed allow you to have that which you prefer. He will allow you to have that which you prefer, but that will not be the promise that He has for you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have what He promise. I'd rather have what he promised. Now, remember, and I've stated that in the announcement for tonight, that we're talking about the enemy of my faith. We're talking about the spirit of deception. And remember now, I just brought out to you that, you know, you have your promises of God, you have assigned territory, but should you prefer otherwise, should you prefer otherwise, uh, by all means, allow deception to lead you to that which uh, he can ascribe God to in your mind. We're going to learn this in a few minutes. We're going to go through this now. So I'm going down to uh, verse 16 in Joshua. And moving down. And it says, then they answered Joshua. And this was after he talked to the people and told them to prepare, told the priest to get the people to prepare. We're about to get moving. They answered Joshua, wherever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, 
we will go. Just verse 17 says, as we have fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And verse 18 says, whoever, whoever Joshua rebels against your word, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, wherever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And then if we go over to Joshua 3, remember we were in one, if we scoot on over to Joshua 3, we see where they begin to cross the Jordan. And verse one says, excuse me, Joshua got up early in the morning and then he and all the children of Israel, they set out from Shittim and they came to Jordan and they spent the night there before they crossed the river that is. And verse two says, and it happened at the end of three days that the officers went throughout the camp and they commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God being carried by the Levitical priests, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall. Then when you see the ark carried by the Levitical priests, then you move, then you shall set out from where you are and follow it. Here's key verse, verse four. However, there shall be a distance between you and it of about 2000 cubits, which is about 3000 feet by measurement. And then he says, do not come near it so that you may be able to see the ark and know the way that you are to go for you have not passed by this way before. You have not passed by this way before. Sidebar here. The Levitical priests, they were to carry the ark of which the people were to follow, right? We just read that. They were to follow at a distance so that they can see clearly the ark and the way that they were to go right? We just read that. This is important because they are following the Ark of the Covenant. They are following something with rep which represents the faith, represents faith and God's presence. They are following holy. They are following completely the Mosaic law. They are following pot of manna and the rod of Aaron. In their following is a physical reminder. There's a reminder for us. They are following the representation and the reminder of the Ten Commandments, the law, yes. They are following a representation and a reminder of Aaron's budding staff. It's a sign of rebellious, to the rebellious. They are following a representation and a reminder of God's constant provision represented in the jar of manna for his people. They are following a representation and a reminder of the continuing, continuous buds on Aaron's rod that symbolizes God's approval and Aaron as a priest. They are following a representation and a reminder of God's mercy and a depiction of the mercy seat. They are following the safety 
They are following safety. The ark provides the Israelites as they pass over Jordan into the promised land. They are following also a representation, a representation of the victories that they haven't even had yet. They're following a promise of victory as stated in the sixth chapter of Joshua. It was the ark that was taken around the city six times in six days and was preceded by the seven priests who sounded the seven trumpets with the ram's horn in Joshua 6, 7. So they're following the promise of a victory. On the seventh day, the ark with the armed man and the priest, they did the same, but the people shouted. They shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down and in Joshua 6. So they're following the promise of a victory that they don't even know of yet. Remember, Joshua's conversations were directly with God. Yes, he did talk to the people we're going to see, but he didn't tell them everything. Theirs was to follow. So note something here. So if the Levitical priests are to carry the altar, then the, the ark, and then the people are, are to follow at a distance. If they're to follow at a distance, but uh, that that would mean that they are to follow the ark and not the priest, because Joshua told them keep follow three thousand feet or two thousand cubit behind the ark, so that you can see the ark and know which way you're going. Keep your eye on the ark. Keep your eyes on the ark. So the issue that we have today is uh, a, a lot of our issues begin with uh, who we're following. Some are following the ark. And remember, the ark is a representation of God. Some are following at too great a distance. They're farther than 3,000 feet. They're following at too great a distance. Some are following too close and um, the, the represent, representation of God gets blurry. And then they begin to mistake the priest for God. So we want to make sure that we're following far enough that we see the ark that is being carried by the priest, but not so close that we mistake the ark for the priest. We want the priest for the ark. I'm sorry, I said the opposite way. We want to make sure that we are following the ark, the following God. We want to make sure that we are following God, that we can clearly see God. Don't get so close to the priest that we confuse God with the priest. Don't confuse the ark with the priest. Follow the ark. The priest is pointing you to what he is carrying, God. Follow God. Follow God. Don't get so don't get so close to the priest that we forget or we mistake the priest for God. For God. See, because at that point, if we're if we start mistaking the priest for actually being God, we have now opened a door for deception to enter. We've now opened a door for deception to enter. Now, remember, I told you that you have to be careful with your freedom of choice, that it doesn't override the promises of God. Now I'm telling you, number two, be careful of the door you open through a misguided covenant, where you start to think that your covenant now lies in the priest and not the ark. You are to follow what the, ark, what the priest is 
is carrying. He is carrying God. He is pointing you to God. Joshua pointed the people to God. He said, keep your eyes on the ark. You need to be able to see how it moves, where it moves, because you've never been this way before. You never come through this way before. And if your eyes are on the wrong thing, then you could get confused. You get confused and you start mistaking the priest for God. You start mistaking the priest for God. Now, at this point, deception can enter. You've opened the door for deception. And now you are establishing a misguided covenant. According to the scriptures, the instruction from God was to follow at a distance. The Ark of the Covenant, the representation of God from a distance to be able to know where to go. The followers' eyes were to be on the covenant. I said that while the people understood from Moses and this next generation from Joshua, the instructions given or reminded of for Joshua this time, this time in the book of Joshua, how we follow, we understand the issues begin as they begin to move into the territory promised by God. They were told before entering the promise in verse 15, be careful. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. And they were also told in verse 16 to not marry of that culture. He said, don't, when you choose some of the daughters as your wife and for your sons, they're going to end up prostituting themselves to their gods and it's going to lead your sons to do the same. So don't marry in that culture. He told them, don't make a treaty with those in that culture that live in that land because when they prostitute themselves to their gods and they sacrifice to them, they're going to invite you and you're going to end up eating of their sacrifices. So like I I just said what the people understood from Moses and what the next generation understood from Joshua, two different sets of instructions because now they are actually walking into the promise. They're actually moving. They're actually moving. So what's about to happen now is we're going to see another note I have here where deception can affirm the covenant through misguided worship. And remember, I started by saying deception enters at the point of the misguided covenant because you're mistaking the priest for God. Now we have deception actually affirming a covenant through misguided worship. Like I said, in verse 15, he told them not to make a treaty or now prostitution is going to enter in and you're prostituting yourself to their gods. He told them not to marry in their culture and the culture of the people of the land they're going to, because if you do, now when their spouse prostitutes themselves to and to their God, now you're going to end up doing the same. So now we have false worship taking place. Deception is now affirming a covenant through its misguided worship. See, Moses told the people in Exodus 34 and 14 not to worship any other God any other gods. He said, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous 
God. But before Moses told them not to worship any other God, he told them about the land that God was giving to them. He told them not to make a treaty. He told them to go in there and break down their altars. He told them to smash their sacred stones and cut down their Asheroth poles. And this is important to note because putting something or someone in the place of God because representations of other gods are made with human hands, meaning creating them began in the mind and then was made with human hands. That's then and now to worship them requires an agreement. What is an agreement, but a treaty. And because Satan mimics everything that God a place that God is, a place for this agreement or treaty to rest is an altar. One is literally rebuilding the Ark of the Covenant, making another covenant outside of the covenant that God has made. And they're creating yet another idol that has infiltrated their mind and manifested through their actions. And now they must worship it. Now they must pray to it. They have in fact built an alternative altar. My next point is deception establishes a treaty. It established it, it established, it affirms a covenant through misguided worship. It 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 builds a misguided covenant through mistaken identity. It it established then establishes a covenant through misguided worship and then it establishes a treaty. It establishes an agreement, a place to receive its sacrifices. It establishes its own altar. Joshua does not tell them to follow the priest, but what the priests are carrying. He's trying to avoid mistaken identity because I can train you now to keep your eyes on God as you enter the promise. Then we are clear that your covenant with God will be established. <clears throat> then we are clear that your treaty, your agreement with God will be solidified. Why? Because you know him, you recognize him, all because you followed instructions. Get that because you followed instructions. I know you don't like the way your leader said this or that to you, but did you follow instructions? Because sometimes they're simply trying to get you to follow instructions so that your covenant can be solidified. Then your worship will be pure and your treaty, your agreement will be to the right, to the right worship aligned to the right covenant, the covenant of truth, the covenant, the worship of truth, of purity. But instead, you don't understand sometimes <clears throat> all that you let in when you open that door of, I don't want to listen. When you slam that door on instruction, when you slam that door on discipline, you are letting in, you are in turn opening the door for deception. You're opening the door for mistaken identity. You're opening the door for a false covenant. You're opening the door for misguided worship. You're opening the door for a treaty with deception. You're coming into agreement 
with deception. <clears throat> In our churches today, most issues arise out of following the flesh, giving the flesh too much attention, simply focusing to focusing and following too closely with your eyes fixed on the wrong things. For some, they like it that way. Some like it that way. It's it's not a follow me as I follow Christ. It's a follow me as I follow me. The job of the follower <clears throat> is to follow and for that to be done well, the follower must understand the intricacies of the Ark of the Covenant, the intricacies of a relationship with God. How do they know? They have to be taught it have experiences with it. You know, I don't care how much you try to avoid a hurt and pain and what you perceive as hurt and pain, but you need to have an experience with discipline. You need to have an experience with rebuke. You need to have an experience with correction. How many of you know how impossible it is to correct a child at the age of 17 with something that you've never corrected them with that they've been doing since they were two? I prefer to get you right in the middle of the action so that you understand that that is not that particular choice is not going to be successful. Sometimes our leaders are trying to show us in the midst of our choices, in the midst of our assumptions, that that particular choice is leading us away from the promise of God. They're trying to help us maintain our covenant with God, but we're so busy listening to how they said it, when they said it, what they said, that we're looking at all those things now are part of the flesh. We're so busy looking at the flesh that we're completely missing the covenant of God, the ark of God that they are carrying, that they are trying to point us to. So we decide that we don't want that particular promise. We'd rather have the promise on the outskirts of the promise half the tribe of manessa you rather have the tri you rather have the promise on the outside of the promise of god it's close enough to say you apart but not close enough for you to be within so you don't want to go through the discipline that the people within went through you'd rather stay on the outskirts see because on the outskirts it's so much land it's so many so many that's my daughter would say you can do so many activities it's so many possibilities so many things you can do with all that land i can raise my lions my bears oh my i got room for everything all the animals i can have a whole zoo i can raise and do what i want to do because i'm on the outskirts of the promise. <clears throat> so I don't have to practice the same disciplines as those that are within the promise. But can I tell you, if God should leave you, turn you over to your choice, Yes, he's promised to work all things out for your good. But do you not know working all things out for your good still requires a process? It still requires the pain of the process if you allow it to be or you can remain on the <coughs> outskirts of the promise of the promise. See, when the follower is moving from a distance too close or too far away, it's because they've lost 
sight. I'm back to my news. They've lost sight of who they should be following. And this gives pause. It's at that pause where the enemy waits to devour, devour the memory of the covenant relationship and taint it with falsities and substitutions on the outskirts of the promise, you have the falsities and you have the substitutions on the outskirts of the promise. Joshua 9 and 1. Let's go there. It says this, <clears throat> and I'm skipping ahead. So now when all the kings west of Jordan heard about these things, what things? When they heard about their victories, when they heard about all that God had fought for them, this is after they crossed over, and this matters because it speaks to Joshua's current state after the victory, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along with the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, uh, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua, and they came to wage war against Israel. However, the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Ai was only a few miles from Gibeon, so that's how they knew. So what they did was they resided, they, re, they decided to trick them. They resorted to a ruse. They went in as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks. Here's the deception and old wineskins cracked and mended. And they put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. I mean, they took care of every detail. They wanted to make sure that their plot, their ruse was carried out and that they were believed. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, and they said to him, the Israelites, we have come from a distant country to make, so so he said, so they say, make a treaty with us. We've come from a distant country. They came from around the corner. Make a treaty with us. Let me pause right there for a moment, just a sidebar to leadership. Be very, very careful. Take the time to examine the goods that people come to you with and want you to make a treaty with them. It takes the time to examine their food supply. Take the time to examine their sandals. Take the time to, to examine their clothes. They put on patched sandals and were on their feet. Old clothes were on. Their bread supply was dry and moldy. They came out with worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. Take a moment to check their wineskins. Take a moment to thoroughly examine them. Take a moment to make sure that what they're carrying is something that was actually carried a distance or something that is worn because they pulled it out just to fool you, just to trick you into making a treaty with them. Take the time to examine. The Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Make no treaty with no man. Come in to agreement with no man hastily. Don't do it hastily. Take the time to examine the goods, that which they brought with them, that they're trying so hard to sell you on. Take the time to examine it and make sure that it is what it is, because we're going to find out that Joshua got God. 
We're going to find out that he got God. It says the Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. They were on to something. The Israelites said this, perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? See, they almost had them with a little time, a little more investigation. The truth would have been found. See, because God had not forbidden the Israelites from making treaties with non-Canaanite people, Deuteronomy 20, 11, but he had expressly commanded them not to make treaties with the native tribes. Don't make treaties with those who are in the area, in the land that you are taking over. You don't make treaties with them. If you believe that God is sending you to a territory to take it over, you don't make no treaties with the people in the land that you are going to take over. Your job is to drive them out. Your job is to drive them out of your promise, not to become their friend. Definitely not to come in agreement with them. Exodus 34 says in the Amplified Version, be sure to observe what I'm commanding you this day. Behold, I am going to, I am going to, I am going to, God is going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Watch yourself that you don't make a covenant with them. No solemn agreements, no treaties with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, or it will become a dangerous trap to you. And we find out that it became an issue for Joshua in Israel. It became an issue down the line, generations down the line. He told them in Numbers 33, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those you let remain of them will be like pricks in your eyes, like thorns in your side and they will attack you in the land where you live <coughs> so just do a quick sidebar to leaders so you go into an area you go to build you immediately start establishing treaties with those who live there and then you're wondering why you have pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and why you're being attacked in the land that you live because what you were supposed to drive out you instead built it a house and you let it stay you made a covenant with it you came into agreement with it. Now all you can do, we find out down the line, Joshua, all you can do is make them servants, but they still going to be there. They're still going to be there with their own gods, with their own ways of doing things. They're still going to be there. Um, guys, they're still going to be there. Let me go back up here. They're still going to be there with their deceptive treaties. They're still going to be there with their misguided worship that you've affirmed now through a covenant. They're still going to be there with their misguided covenant. They're still going to be there with their uh, perceptions and their own ways of doing things. They're still going to be there as a thorn to you, as a thorn to you. Verse eight, it says, when they, when Israel's asked, Israelites asked them, Israelites asked them, you can be living around the corner from them. They lied. They said, we are your servants. They didn't know. Yes, you are. You about to be, you're about to be, we are your servants. They said to Joshua, but Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? So he asked the right questions, but he did not wait. He did not investigate to get 
to the truthful response. They believe the Gibeonites without pressing for the name of the envoys, the cities, the country. They didn't interview them. They didn't ask detailed questions. Show me your resume. Where do you come from? I need to talk to some of these references you have. I need to know who you've been around. They didn't investigate them. And then they answered again, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports for him, reports of him, all that he did in Egypt. So what they did was they mixed a little truth in with the deception. They mixed the little truth in there. They did hear of him. They did hear of all that he'd been done. They heard, but they were not, they were not their servants. They did not come from a distant country. And verse 10 says, and all that he did to the king, they described him what they heard to the two kings of the Amorites, east of Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, who reigned in Asheroth. And then he says um, in verse 11, and our elders and all those living in our country, they said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. So the lies ensued. The lies continue. They start giving intricate details to convince of the lie, the circumstantial evidence that is supposed to convince you to ignore what is obvious to ignore, ignore what you see, to not discern spiritually what is before you. They were on the right track with their questions, but the evidence presented make, made them make a life-altering decision in a few minutes. They changed it and if they changed their whole lives in a few minutes, then they kept on going. This bread of ours is was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by a very long journey. Oh, the lie just kept going. The Israelites sampled their provision but they didn't inquire of the Lord. So they looked at their provisions. They examined it. They tasted the bread. Yeah, this is moldy. Yeah, this is such and such. Yeah, this is it. And they agreed themselves. They agreed themselves, but they did not ask God. They did not ask God. Then verse 15 says, then Joshua made a treaty. He made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. How many of you uh, have your enemy, you have you made a treaty with the to to let them live. How many of you leaders can look around now and you made it, but you made you you want to let them go, but you, you made a treaty with them. You made a treaty with them to let them live. You made a treaty to let them uh serve. You made a treaty to let them work in the ministry with you. You made a covenant, you made an agreement with them, even though you know that you were supposed to drive them out of your territory. We got to be very careful what we sign our hands to approval for. We got to be very careful what we choose to ignore. We got to be careful when we choose to ignore that bigger picture and that we got to consider the, uh, <clears throat> the altering, the life altering impact that it could have on the plan of God 
for our lives. The plan of God for your life is the plan of God for your life. If you choose to ignore it, if you choose, as I said earlier, to dwell on the outskirts of the promise, that promise is still yours. It's just a promise you chose not to take. And God's going to accept your choice. He's going to accept your choice. And see, three days, verse 16 tells, after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the, Israel heard, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. The exposure did not come until the hasty agreement was sealed. And it comes on what's supposed to be their territory. So the Israelites set out the third day and they came to their cities. Now you want to confront them. But the Israelites did not attack them, verse 18 says, because the leaders had sworn that they would not attack them. But then guess what happened? The whole assembly, verse 18 says, grumbled against the leaders. So the people begin to get upset with the leaders because here they vowed to be obedient to the leader's instructions. They vowed and they proved it when the leader told them to march around Jericho. They proved, they, they were obedient to the leader's instructions. They told the leader, you know, anyone who doesn't listen to what you said should be put to death. And now here they're looking and the leader didn't listen to what the leader said. So now they're looking like, okay, I thought we were supposed to have nobody in our land. I thought that, why are they? And so now, and they started grumbling against the leader, but the leaders answered them. We already gave them our oath. We already gave them our word. We already came into covenant with them. We already made a treaty with them. They miss what I've said, and we already agreed to let their false gods cause them to build their false altars and worship. And we agreed for generations to come that they would serve and get tricked up by these false gods because that's what happened generations later, generations later. And he said, this is what we're going to do. This is the way the leader solved it. This is what we're going to do to them. We're going to let them live so that God's wrath doesn't fall on us for breaking the oath that we swore to them. So that tells us as leaders, don't be so, be, don't be so hasty with your oath. Don't be so hasty. Take the time to investigate. Take the time to investigate. And then it says in verse 21, he says, we're going to let them live, but we'll let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leaders promise to them was kept. The enemy now though, has access to live and even work in the space amongst the people of God. So, so Joshua did go to them in verse 22 and he would, he asked them, why did they deceive us? And he told them, you know, he put them under a curse. You're never going to be released from service. You're always going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. But you, but the, but the thing is what the people are saying is, but they're always going to have access to God's people. They're always going to have access to God's stuff because in humanity, you open the door of salvation to a people to a people that were not a part of the plan of God. So now Joshua is, the people are grumbling and Joshua has to follow through with what he said because he already made this promise. He he, he had already done it. And uh, when you go down to verse 27, it says that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters, 
And he made them water carriers as he promised for the assembly. And he told them to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at a place where the Lord would choose. And that is what they do, what they do to this day, the scripture tells us. They are woodcutters, water carriers for the assembly, and they provide for the needs of the altar for the Lord. So what does that tell me? That tells me that everyone that is providing for the needs of the altar might not have been the cho that which was chosen of God, but maybe that which has been engaged by way of treaty by the leader. That's what that tells me. And so sometimes in our churches, in our gatherings, yeah, everybody in the house of God is not going to be of the house of God. So this tells me that there will be people that will work the house of God. They will work for the house of God, but they might not believe in the same God that you believe in. Is it possible that they could have chose the promises on that? Some of these people might be those that have chosen uh, the prom chosen not to abide in the promise of God, but except the uh, on that to be on the outskirts of the promise. They had a preference for that outskirts of the promise. Is that possible? Could be a possibility today. Today could be a possibility, but we know what the scripture is telling us about this particular decision that Joshua had made and that he decided to keep because his word, he wanted to remain honorable before God. Another note I have here is deception override strategy because it it's all it wait a minute deception override strategy because it has its own and its followers followers receive it at its altar which it builds which it builds and you know what i'm going to save that point and i'm going to go over that point next week because that point might take me yet another hour so i'm going to save that point for next week so we'll do a part 2 next week so this week what we talked about when we talked about the enemy of my faith and the spirit of deception a reviewing we started off by me explaining to you that according to Joshua uh, 1 3 and 4 every place that god gives has limits. It has limits. And then I went to uh, my second point where it says, where I wrote, be careful with your freedom of choice that it does not override the promise of God. Remember, I talked about having a preference like uh, the Reubenites, the, Gad the Gadites, and the half the tribe of Manasseh. They preferred to dwell on the outskirts of the promise because they thought that land was better for their possessions. That's where they wanted to raise their livestock at, and they felt like that was more room. But not understanding the promise of God uh, required a level of discipline and obedience. So they didn't want to do with the people with in the promise we're doing. So they chose to be on the outskirts, even though they they were not allowed to rest until the people within received their promise. <clears throat> and then I talked about uh, another note. I said, deception enters at the point of misguided covenant. And I was referring to when Joshua told the people to follow the Ark of the Covenant at least 3,000 feet behind so that they could clearly see the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted to make sure that their eyes stayed on the covenant. And I talked about there how as if you're some people are following too closely and some people are following too far away, those that are following too closely can mistake the priest for God, the representation, they can mistake the priest 
before God and get confused. Now you've opened the door for deception. And once you've opened that door for deception, you now have opened the door for a misguided covenant. And then that covenant is affirmed through a misguided worship. And there I was referencing the scriptures that spoke to uh, the people, um, God telling the people to drive those that are, live in the land out of their land so that their gods don't become a hindrance and um, uh, a, a, a point of movement and distraction for them to they start worshiping other gods. And then from there, I talked about deception, establishing a treaty. It wants to bring you into agreement with it. It wants to bring you into relationship with it, thereby completely replacing the Ark of the Covenant, covenant, thereby replacing your relationship with God. And I told you on next week, we'll talk about how deception overrides strategy because it has its own strategy. So it's going to override God's strategy. And as I talked about, we're going to talk about next week, how the followers, they receive it at the altars that they built through serving deception, through their misguided covenant of deception. So we'll continue this on next week. But before you go, let me pray for you. God, I thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for life. I thank you for health and strength. And I thank you for peace. I thank you for joy that resides on the inside and is bubbling up on the outside because you care for us, because you care for us. You care for our understanding. You want us to know you. You want us to be in relationship with you. We thank you today for exposing the enemy of our faith. We thank you for exposing how the spirit of deception operates and how it maneuvers to redirect us to a misguided covenant. And we thank you, oh God, that you are renewing your covenant with us as we choose God to realign ourselves with your will, re realign ourselves with your purpose, realign ourselves with the promises that you have for our lives. We choose God to accept the promises that you have for our lives, not to dwell on the outskirts, but we want to be within the promise that you have for us. We want your perfect will to be done in us and through us because we were birthed for such a time as this. I ask you now, God, for every leader, God, I ask you, God, to increase their discernment, God, in the name of Jesus. Open their eyes so they might see the enemy from afar off. Cause them to know the enemy's ways of deception. I bind the enemy that will come for the hearts of leaders, come for their caring for the flocks, come for their caring of the sheep, come to manipulate their hearts. I bind you and I crush you under my feet. The blood of God, the blood of Jesus protects the leader's hearts now, covers the leader's hearts now, covers the mind, subdues the mind of the people and realigns them with your promises now. In the name of Jesus, I pray and I thank you. I thank you. I thank you so much for joining me. If you would like to donate to this podcast, the information is on the bottom of the screen. And remember, until next week, don't let go. Don't let go. No matter what comes, 
Take what you've learned tonight. Review your notes. Review the scriptures. Read Joshua. Understand because you are they that are about to inherit your promises. And there is a way to inherit the promise of God. And you don't want to get deceived right at the entrance of your promise. You nor you leader, ma'am, sir, don't want to be deceived as you go to guide your people to inherit the promises of God. So let's realign ourselves. God has already done it. If you're under the sound of my voice, he's already done it in you and through you and for you. So you can walk freely in the promises of God. You've already chosen to realign yourself and God is blessing you. He's increasing you right now. Remember, don't let go. And I'll see you on next week and we'll continue on next week. Everyone have a good week. Hear my voice, you are surviving. Life may not be what you want it to be. There might be tears in your eyes.